So, I've been asked to join you over the next three weeks, and I decided to try to find uh, something which would span just three weeks. And I came up with the idea of doing the letters of John, being as there are three of them. However, I realised one is a lot longer than the other two. I plan to stick with the letters of John. And so tonight we'll do the first letter. Now because of its length, I obviously can't do an exposition on the whole letter. So for tonight, instead of something expository, I thought I would choose a theme. Something which is seen throughout the first letter. And, well, one of the themes you could say was love. <coughs> but in a more broad sense, there is uh, plenty of challenges in this first letter. Challenges to help us use some criteria to see if we are in the faith. Things like, if you do this... You cannot be a Christian. Or if you do the other, that shows you are a Christian. Those sort of black and white statements that John is uh, famous for. So, the first, uh, the first message uh, for tonight uh, will be different from the subsequent weeks. So I want to talk about the marks of a true believer. And we're going to use the scriptures and hold them up and compare our lives to it this evening. So it is for self-examination. There is a, another use, which is that we can use these principles when we speak to people and we're not sure where they stand. These are helpful clues. It can help us to understand where that person's coming from. Are they unsaved? Are they saved? Are they walking disorderly? And so on. So it's useful for that as well. So what I'd like to do is present uh, six statements, each with one or two or three scriptures from the first letter to, to give you some idea of what that statement is about. So, with that in mind, my first statement is this then. Now we'll skip about this first letter, so... Don't worry, but the first statement is that a true Christian will love the family of Jesus Christ. A true Christian will love the family of Jesus Christ. And we're going to have a look at the second chapter and verses 9 and 10. It says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. So this is about loving the brethren first. Loving the brethren. For example, we don't gossip about each other. We don't gossip and then pretend it's just discussing them. Now, it's okay to talk behind people's backs. I've talked about half of you behind your backs and you don't even know it. But guess what? It's been all good. It's been all good. 
Imagine if I was telling you tonight about my children. Do you think I would start criticising them and saying how awful they are? wouldn't tell you any of that. I'd ignore all that. I would tell you how they've done this and the, the walking with God. Some positive things. I would think I would speak kindly about them. And that's just a family that I have a biological connection to. It's not, it's not my spiritual family. So you might say, well, how much more should we speak well of each other being part of God's family? So we love the brethren. We can also use the example of forgiveness. We should show unending forgiveness towards the brethren. So there is no limit to how many times we are to forgive each other. Let's look at another example in chapter 3 and verse 15. 3 and verse 15 says, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So, very stark. If you hate a brother or sister, you're a murderer and lost. That's quite stark, isn't it? A murderer. This is not an exaggeration because it's that old principle that your heart's attitude is just as important as carrying out any actions that result from it. And so, it, <coughs> if you search yourself, brethren, you find there is just a little bit of hatred there for some brother or sister that's done you wrong, well, consider this scripture a warning, a warning to sort that out. Now, I'm not saying one of God's elect people can lose their salvation because of their behaviour. The point is that if you are in a position of hatred... You have no real right to consider yourself as a believer. You should think of yourself as being imperiled if you don't have that love. Let's look at verse, um, the following verse, in fact. So chapter 3 and verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That sounds like we're to be prepared to die for each other. Well, that's true. If it came to it, I hope by God's grace, I would be prepared to lay down my life for any one of you. But in the scriptures, this dying can be representative of something else. In Revelation, it's used to describe sacrifice. So living daily, this sacrificial life for Christ is, can be thought of as dying daily. Dying daily. The point is, our attitude to fellow believers is we put them first. We, you know, strictly speaking, then it means that, you know, my money is your money, right? Now, we don't have any money, so that's not a great deal. But it means that your money is my money. So it, what it means is, um, if, if someone has a, a car and they find one of the brethren has a greater need for that car, they should seriously be, can be prepared to hand that car over, maybe temporarily, maybe not, but as situation allows, it's that sort of thing. We should love, we should love the brethren to, to, to that level of sacrifice. 
the very next verse in the same chapter. So we're on verse 17 now. It says, Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion for him, from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? How dwelleth the love of God? So we are to have compassion. We're to have compassion on our brothers and sisters. Compassion can be praying for people. We can say, Brother, I'm going to pray for you. Let's do it now or I'll pray for you later. That's a good thing. That's always a good thing. As long as that doesn't replace actual help. If your brother or sister is hungry, you don't put your arm around them and say, let's pray that God might bring you some food. If you have food in the cupboard and it's spare, get that tin of beans and take it and give it to them. Don't pray about it. Help them and pray. That's about being compassionate. And we need to use wisdom in these things. So, we, uh, for example, I have a wife and children, and I have a responsibility to them before God. So, if I emptied all our cupboards of food and said to the church, that all the people of Hollywell, here you go, free food, uh, that, that wouldn't be very good, would it? That, that would be a bit silly. So, a true Christian will love the family of Jesus Christ. Here's the second point. A true Christian will walk in a way which honours Jesus Christ. A true Christian will walk in a way which honours Jesus Christ. We're going back to chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. We are to walk in the light. This means that we, we beg the Holy Spirit uh, for his influence in us. It means that we read this, the Bible, and we allow it to uh, saturate us. And we're told and we believe that this word gives light. What does that mean? The entrance of thy word giveth light. It means that if I'm in the woods and someone gives me a torch, that's fantastic. It means I'm not going to fall over. And that's the point here. If we walk in the light, we are less likely to fall into sin. That's a good thing. Let's move on to the chapter 2 and verse 15 for another example. Chapter 2 verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man or woman... Love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we are not to love the world's offerings and the world. The world has a lot of stuff. The world has a lot of distractions. Some of them quite uh, attractive, shall we say. And they're not necessarily bad. Now each of us has a different attitude to the things we should do as Christians and things we shouldn't do. And occasionally you get someone who tries to get you to conform to their boundaries and it does not work. We have to work out our own boundaries of what we will do. But, importantly, whatever we decide to do, I might decide to watch television, for example. Watch films, something like that. But the point is, we're not to be addicted. 
We're not to let anything we do overtake us. And sometimes the only way to work out if we have, uh, we have formed a habit around something we do is to be deprived of it. And that's not always something we, we can do. But if you find that you are addicted to something, it may be that you're loving the world's offerings and it's not a good place uh, to be. You should be concerned. One more example is in, is in chapter 2 again, verse 29. It says, uh, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. We are to do works of righteousness. How are we saved? Well, we're saved purely by the grace of God. And it is through the means of our faith in God. So it's through faith and it's by grace that we are saved. However, it's possible to have a kind of faith in God and confess that we lay hold on the grace of God for our salvation. It's possible to do that but be a faker. It is possible. Some people do get through. And the point is, a genuine laying hold of Jesus Christ involves changes in our lives, our habits, and we will do works of righteousness. We're not relying on them for salvation. We are accepting that this is part of what it means to be converted. We do works. We come here this evening and we worship God. We uh, witness to others. We, we pray at home and with the saints. We do Bible study and those things. So ask yourself, is that, is that, does that describe my life? Here's my third point. A true Christian will freely admit their lack of conformity to Jesus Christ. A true Christian will acknowledge their lack of conformity to Jesus Christ. Primarily, we mean confession to God. We have a look in the first chapter, and verse 9. Chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So confession to God is a mark. And we're not to bury sins. We're not to uh, treasure any of them. We're not to give them any room. We are to go within ourselves and we are to hunt down any sin that lives in us. Every nook and cranny must be searched and sin must be destroyed without mercy. We need to be honest with ourselves because, friends, it's sadly, <clears throat> I speak from experience, it is uh, sadly very easily, very, very easy uh, for a Christian to be a hypocrite. So we need to um, root out these sins. And I, I said confession to God was the primary uh, thought here. There's also, there is also a need to, to admit our sinfulness anyway to other believers. So you won't find me coming to you and saying, you'll never guess what I did the other day and give you all the gory details of something course but I will happily admit to any of you 
that I am a sinful creature and I've let God down and I let him down every day. And we should be prepared and open about that. I find uh, this, this, this issue of admitting sin, it's, it's, a, it's a good litmus test for people in this world who you meet. Just ask them the question. Say, you do know, right? You do know that you are a, a sinful human being, you know, in the eyes of God. And see what their reaction is. Very, very few unbelievers that I have met are prepared to be so strong in their language. They will say things like, <clears throat> they will say things like, uh, well, I'm no angel. That raises a flag in my head straight away. Or they'll say, well, I suppose we all make mistakes. That raises a flag in my head as well. You see, they're trying to minimise the sin with these deflections. And that is a good sign. If a Christian says something like that, yeah, I get, I get especially worried. Here's my fourth point. A true Christian will be a witness for Jesus Christ. Chapter 2 and verse 23 says, Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. We're not to deny God, friends, and Maybe there's been times when you've been a little bit ashamed because of the, the company you were in. You didn't want to sound too extreme. Instead of speaking of Jesus, you might say, well, well, I, I go to church. Well, that's good, you know. That just makes you sound like a respectable person. You go to church. You pay, you pay me taxes. But if the situation allows it, then go as far as you can and, and mention Jesus Christ, mention forgiveness of sins also um, our witness for Jesus it's not meant to be only uh, passive by which I mean we don't stand and wait and whistle through life and wait until God sends those opportunities for witnessing to us we do pray for those opportunities and we do take advantage of them but there must be an element of our evangelism which is more active where we take the gospel out in a more active way. And it could, friends, be I brought one of these to show you our latest, our latest gospel literature, the size of that. And you know, that can be left on a bus or put in a library book or 101 other things. You can post something on the internet. You can speak to someone that you meet. There's, there's so many ways, but we should just be putting this as a high priority I think sometimes we in certain in certain company I think we're a little bit ashamed of making ourselves look like fanatics and so we try to hold back on the language sometimes it's pride it's just bare pride that stops us being effective witnesses for Jesus and I can think of uh, I can think of a good example with a good ending. It involves uh, Sue, actually, because um, back in 1997 or something, um, I was in uh, Southport with, um, and, and Sue was there, and David Carson, and, and a friend of mine who'd recently been saved. And this friend, I best not say his name in case, in case he watches this, or maybe you know him, 
And I took this friend along and he agreed to, he agreed to take part in this open-air witness that we were having. And we, we were having this uh, outreach to the Orangemen on the 12th of July. And so he was, he was hovering on the fringes of the, of, the, of the witness and people were preaching. So I thought, I'm going to get you. So I had a placard which says, you know, repent and be converted. And so I went over and I, I said, do us a favour, you hold this while a tiny lace. So he just got hold of this thing. And then, of course, I, I, I ran. <laughs> I left him with it. And then he was looking at me like he wanted to kill me. And the point is, after half an hour of that, of, of you know, looking stupid, he got over the pride thing. And he thought, no, I'm actually happy to stand with the Lord's people. And when all friends of his came up and said, you know, what are you doing? He just, he'd lost all that, that self-consciousness, that pride. He was just happy to let it all go. And that is sometimes a barrier, and that's something we need to uh, get over. This being a, a witness for Christ is not just about evangelism. We witness for Christ in our, in our doctrine, or how we express our doctrine. Have a look at chapter 4 and verse 2. It says, uh, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now, we are to confess that doctrine. We're to say we believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Confess, obviously, in our old Bibles, you know, doesn't mean own up to something you've done wrong. Confess is just like a proclamation. We know that, don't we? But if we tie that second verse in, with another statement in chapter 4, which is in verse 15. Verse 15 says, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. When we add those two things together, we have the person Jesus Christ who said to come in the flesh. And then it tells us, the identity of this Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we combine those, we get a glorious, mysterious doctrine of the Incarnation. And so we can, we, we, we're a witness for Christ in evangelism, and we're a witness when we say good things about him to each other in our doctrine. Here's my penultimate point. A true Christian will have... The spirit of Jesus Christ. A true Christian will have the spirit of Jesus Christ. We have in chapter 3, verse 24. It says, uh, he that uh, keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. It says... For these true Christians, the Spirit will live in them. Now, the Holy Spirit is the power which animates all life. The believer, non-believers, non-humans. In Genesis, you'll see that the mammals and the fish are called living souls or living creatures sometimes. And all these things are animated by the power of God. 
It's he who gives life. But there is such a thing as having the Spirit of God in a saving sense. And that's different. And in that sense, when we come into this world, we don't have the Spirit of God in that way. We may be alive by the power of God, but we don't have the Spirit of God in that sense. Even our lovely little children don't have the Spirit. It's only unless they are the objects of God's mercy that they receive the Spirit. So the one who wants to know if they are a true believer must ask themselves, have I been subjected to the new birth? Have I been born again? Chapter 4 and verse 13 says something similar. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. It says again that uh, the believer is in God and God is in them through the spirit. It's another mystery. The commentators can't agree on what it means. But there's a fact we can and should agree with is that God lives in us. He lives in us. And that useful question again. Do you have the spirit? Do I have the spirit? That's what we need to ask. <clears throat> My final point then. Is this. It is that a true Christian. Will know that they have eternal life. In Jesus Christ. A true Christian will know that they have eternal life in Jesus Christ. We look at chapter 4 and verse 17. It says there, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Boldness in the day of judgment. That sounds like Someone not having a fear of the judgment. The very judgment of God. Fact is, folks, that if he loves us and, and we him, there is this confidence. There is this confidence. And for those people who have a poor walk, for those people who are walking uh, disorderly, then there is more likely to be a fear of death because the confidence of having eternal life is not with them. So a poor walk is to be avoided because fear is the inevitable consequence. These people are standing. They are standing on the very border between the safe zone of God's family and the outer zone of sin. They're standing on that border. It's a dangerous place. And because of that, they will likely not have that confidence about, about death. Now, if you don't like the idea of dying, well, join the club. Who does? We're talking, not talking about the process leading up to We're talking about death itself, about what it means to leave this world, knowing that we have a new world ahead of us. Here's the last verse. It's in chapter 5 and it's verse 12. He that hath the Son hath life, 
And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And so we find that eternal life is only for those who possess the Son. Do you have the Son, friends? I believe you all do. But ask yourself the question, do you have the, do you have the Son? Because it is so very easy to perform the behaviours of a Christian without having the Son. People have been attending worship services their entire lives, yet not possessing the Son. People who read the Bible are knowledgeable and even pray. And yet they can be in that place of not having the Son. And so the big question there is, have I been saved? Have I been saved? So the self-examination presented to us here, as an example, could be uh, based on these sorts of points. A person can ask themselves if they're in any doubt. Am I a true Christian? Well, do I love the family of Jesus Christ? Do I have a... Am I walking with him daily? Am I confessing my sin daily? Am I trying to carry the torch for Jesus Christ in this world and tell other people about him? Do I have the Spirit? Do I have the marks of the Holy Spirit in my life? And do I know, do I have an assurance of eternal life? Those sorts of things. If this was a, a test in their college or school, uh, there's six points there. With this test, only full marks will do. You have to have six out of six here. These are points that come quite clearly out of the scriptures. We haven't gone looking for them. We haven't inferred them from other things. They're very clear. Six out of six. If someone says, I got five of them or four of them, that's not good enough. It means they are walking disorderly. But it is possible that a Christian, or more than possible, that a Christian may find that one of these points hits a nerve in them and they, they recognise that here is a point of weakness in my walk. Here is a point that I need to focus on. And I'm sure that's the same for everyone. The point is that you should be concerned. You should be concerned if any of those points caused you to, to, to think, well, I don't know if that exactly describes me. Well, you've heard the scriptures, so it's good to, to challenge ourselves. And I know how easy it is for, for uh, believers to come to a meeting like this or on a Sunday and listen to a sermon and really listen to it and then walk out the door and forget the whole thing. Ask them an hour later what it was all about. Sometimes I forget. But still, that needs addressing as well. It is about 
examining ourselves and being ruthless with ourselves. And if you or someone you talk to about these things realises there's, there's some issues there, then they need to consider they may not be a believer after all. They need to be honest with themselves. They need to just go and repent towards God and have faith in Jesus Christ on that very day. Because no matter what you've done to the repentant heart, we have the promise of God that we will not be turned uh, away. Amen.